This morning we are on our last series called The Searching Heart. Uh, The concept of this series has been based on that our heart searches under any circumstances for different things. And these uh, things that our heart searches for are involuntary things. In other words, our heart wants them, desires them, goes after them, whether we like it or not. And the first week we talked about an identity. Our heart searches for an identity. We want to have an identity, and it's unacceptable not to have an identity. And therefore, we will look until we get it. We'll define it until we have it. Our heart searches for love. Everybody's heart searches for love. You can talk about in the sanctuary, everybody here is searching for love, but then you can go outside into the community. Everybody is searching for love. You can go across the world. Everybody is searching for love. You can even travel back 6,000 years ago. There's a heart that's searching for love in every single person. Next week, we talk about search for strength, search for pleasure the week after that, search for money, search for beauty, a search for happiness. Our heart is going to have these things, we'll look for them, and they will not stop until they find them, even if they try to find them through a wrong answer. So what we're doing is we're looking at the Word of God. Our Creator has built us in such a way with searching hearts, and we're asking the question, what does the Bible say about these topics? What does the Bible say about happiness? What does the Bible say about joy? What does the Bible say about pleasure, identity, and love? How do you get these things? And that's been the concept of the entire series, and I'm sad that this morning is the last one, but this last one we're going to talk about something new. Our heart searches for something new. When you get a new car, what takes place? Your heart just tingles with joy. It's like, ah, I got something new. And then you sit in the car and it smells new, and it goes through all your senses, and you enjoy it. The new iPhone comes out. What happens? Everybody lines up for the new iPhone. I want something brand spanking new. So everybody shows up and are in line for it. You know, Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving, we have Black Friday. People are just making the lines so far back to get something new because the Christmas season is coming and you want something new, you want something fresh, uh, you want to smell it, you want to see it, you want to have it, and you want to grab it. We travel. But why do we travel? We travel because you want to walk into a new culture with a new history, with a new people, uh, a new way of looking at things. And it's fascinating to, to see the new, to walk out of America and to see how Africa functions, to see how, um, how Asia functions, to see how Russia functions. We all want this, this new. We're hungry for this consistent new. And then you look at uh, midlife crisis kind of even, even proves it. What takes place in midlife crisis? Well, when you get married, say, you know, 20 years old, early years, you know, you get married, you have a new wife, and then you have a new home, and you're under a, a new adventure, and then you have children that are, are new, and I'll tell you that every single day something happens new with children, and all that is, is coming, is coming, is coming, and then you're at the bottom when you start out, but then you get a new promotion, then you get a new job, and, and it's something that just brings you life because you're starving for something new. And then all of a sudden you, you turn, you know, a certain age where midlife crisis hits and you no longer want the new, 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 new because you've already accomplished everything. So you need a newer wife, you need a newer home, you need a newer health, you need a, a newer position. And, and that just explains how midlife crisis even works. Why? Because we're so attracted and so hungry for new. And as we're attracted for it and hungry for it, it's never, it's never really satisfied. In fact, if you buy something new, you have a craving to buy something else new. I want more and more and more and more. Buying even breeds a craving, 
a craving for it. Humans are plagued with an appetite that is very, very difficult to satisfy. So looking at this sermon and under this topic, we want to look at two things, reasons why we search for something new. We want to try to understand that. And then how can we be satisfied with the longing for something new? So let's look at the reasons why we search for something new. Number two, our heart searches for the new because everything has fallen apart and subject to decay. We all sense that we're fading away. We all sense that we're sagging. We all sense that we're decaying. In fact, it's not natural. Something has taken place that is inside of us. It's something that's taken place inside of us. It's like, this is not good. I want to be delivered. So we grab a hold of new diets. We grab a hold of new clothes. We grab a hold of new everything. Why? Because we want deliverance from a life that is decaying. On Friday, uh, Pastor D and I went to chop firewood. And as we went out there to chop firewood, he said, he's 71 years old, and he says, you know, in five years, I think I'm going to give this up, and I'm going to buy a new, a new pellet stove. And as I was sitting there with him, I'm like, five years, you're going to be, what, 76 years old? I said, I was thinking about giving up in five years, and I'm 46 years old. And then, sure enough, we start cutting, and as we're cutting, it's like, I need a new chain, because this one's just not going fast enough. I, in fact, I need a new chainsaw, because this thing gets heavier and heavier and heavier the more that I use it, or maybe it's the older I get. Um, I need a new starter. You know, they have those, you just pull the string and all of a sudden it just, it just starts. You know, I need to do one of those because I'm getting tired of even pulling the string. And then we load up Pastor D's trailer and we start driving out and it hits the ground and it starts dragging. It's like, oh, we need a new trailer and we need a new truck to pull the new trailer. In fact, we need to do everything. It seems like everything is decaying in the process of walking through life. Is that true? As is true, Paul says it in Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It hope in, oh, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Creation is waiting to be set free from its bondage and decay. Our attraction for something new is that creation and everything that we see is under bondage and decay. It is going downhill. And when you get just a taste of something new, it fills your senses. It fills your mind. It fills your heart. There is this little sense of deliverance, and that's why we're so attracted to it. The other reason why we want something new, our heart searches for the new because God has placed eternity into our hearts. If man were just mere animal, his joy and sorrow would depend entirely upon his outward things. You know, I have uh, seven cows, eight cows, I forget how many I have. (laughs) I think I have seven right now, seven cows. And I'll tell you that if you feed them, they're happy. If you don't, they're mad. In fact, if they're out in the pasture, all you have to do is just give them abundance of food, and they will just be your best friend. But you put them in the barn, and you lock the door, and I'll tell you, they will tear the barn apart because they don't get it. They need more abundance, more, 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 more. But you know, I can walk out there after they tear the barn apart and I can turn them loose. And when I turn them loose, guess what? They're all of a sudden happy again and they don't hold a grudge at all. They don't think about, I can't believe you locked me in. They don't care. Now, personally, I hold a grudge. (laughs) 
personally, I get real frustrated. Personally, abundance doesn't actually fill me up. Abundance doesn't even satisfy. I'm not an animal. There's something else that's inside of me. And man, me, you, are a little bit more complicated. What do I mean by a little bit more complicated? Our search for something new is beyond our desire. It is literally in our nature. And the nature that is inside is because God said, I will put an eternity in every person's heart. Now, those eternities don't go into my cow's heart. They go into people's heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set an eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Cows, donkeys, pigs are capable of finding something that satisfies them. You just feed them. But man can't because it's never, it's never enough. It's never enough new. It's never enough food. It's never enough abundance. There's something bigger that we must have because eternity has been placed in our heart. And what is that something bigger? You must have God. We are created way too big to be satisfied with what the world has to offer. We've been created as eternal beings, and as we've been created as eternal beings, we have to have something bigger than ourselves. And everything on this earth is not bigger than ourselves. We have to have God. Revelations 21, Revelation 21, 1 through 5 is the main passage that we're working off of this morning, talking about an, uh, an eternity that is in our heart. What does that look like? This is the future of what heaven is going to look like. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. He who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see a word that is consistent in that passage? A new heaven and a new earth. And then he says, he who is seated on the throne, that is God seated on the throne, says, I am making everything new as he's giving us heaven. Now, it did not say that I made everything new. We know that Jesus left heaven and ascended into heaven, says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself. And then when we show up, we're like, oh my goodness, he made something new. That's not what this verse says. It's not, I made something new and I'll give it to you. It is when you're getting there, look at the words, I am making everything new, which is a present progressive that will not stop. Now, there's two different Greek words for the word new in the Bible. New Testament is written in Greek, and, and one is, is neos, and one is kainos, and, and I just want you to know I don't know Greek. I just work off of the computer, but neos is, neos is new in age. New in age means I'm 46 years old and Pastor D is 71. I'm newer. I mean, just, that's, just, that's, just the, that's the way that it works. Uh, you look at the children that walk in the door, and, and you have these little tiny kids that are running around, or you even have babies in your arm. Um, they don't put makeup on. You know why they don't put makeup on? Because they're newer. <laughs> that's, just, that's just what takes place. As we get older and older, you know, we start to try to compensate and make things. But when you're brand new, it's something like, well, I'm, it's the age thing. It's, it's I'm new or I'm old. Now, chaos is different. Kainos is new in a sense. So you have bright, 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 but then it fades. So when you talk about kainos, you're talking about bright, bright. It's new. It's bright. Something that fades is not necessarily bright. It's not new anymore. 
Or even you could say beauty, 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 beauty. When you look at new, that's a freshness, a sense that you take, that you embrace. Or strong or weak, you look at strong, 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 it's new. You're getting stronger and stronger and stronger or a fresh of sense that is there in our understanding. So when you're looking at this word, I am making everything new, present progressive, means that when you get into heaven, this is what heaven's going to feel like. Think about getting into your new car. Oh, I feel the rush. I feel the tingle. I enjoy this. I can't wake, wake up in the morning and go, oh, I got the new iPhone. You get that feeling. When you get to heaven, do you know what you're going to get? You're going to get that feeling constantly on steroids for an eternity. New, new, new. You've been there for a million years. You got the next million years. It's just going to consistently grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow where there is a freshness, there is a newness, there is a beauty that completely energizes you. That's what heaven is going to look like. I am making everything new. Not that I made everything new and I'm going to give it to you, but I'm going to consistently make everything new. Our nature says that it must be young to be new. We've got to have something young if it's going to be new. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible can take the old and make it new and newer and newer and newer and newer and newer, meaning stronger and stronger, brighter and brighter, more beautiful, more beautiful, more powerful, more powerful, more glorious, more glorious. Taking something from what? The ancient years and making it kainos, making it complete fresh. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You read the Bible and you see something that took place 2,000 years ago. You see Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And he did it for a saving of our souls. That we can be set free from our sins and salvation can be ours. I had somebody walk in my office. Grew up in a Christian church. Grew up in church. And he heard that gospel. Jesus left heaven. Came to earth. He died on the cross. And he rose again and he did it all for me. He's heard that message consistently. He's in my office one time. And as he's in my office, I just gave him the simple gospel again say it's not what Jesus has done for you it's not what you can do for Jesus it's what Jesus has done for you and I'll tell you that his light just turned on what happened he took something that took place 2,000 years ago and it was fresh it was alive it was real it was powerful and his life has never been changed it's been the same since and that was that was four years ago and as you consistently feed on it it's new 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 but it's happened 2,000 years ago Look at the Word of God, the Bible. You look up, open up the Bible, have you ever had the experience like, you know, I've read the Bible so many times, I've read this book so many times, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm, I didn't even know that it was there. The Bible is a book that you can read over and over and over and over and over again because it's just complete, fresh, new. It's a taste of heaven. A taste of heaven. In fact, I did this last week. I was just studying Ecclesiastes. And as I was studying Ecclesiastes, it said, sorrow is, ble- is better than happiness. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I looked at it, and it showed all the benefits of sorrow. And sorrow gives me this benefit, this benefit, this benefit, this benefit. It's like I've never even seen that before. And I better get off that subject because I'm going to preach you another sermon. Because it's so beautiful and so powerful that when you read the Word, it's new, 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 fresh, fresh, fresh. What is it? You're getting a taste of heaven in the word, but it's written what? So many years ago. So many years ago. I had somebody talk to me on men's breakfast. He said that uh, I was um, 
He came two years ago, and as he came two years ago, he said, since I've come here, I, I read the Word, I pray, and my whole life has been changed. Everything has been changed. And I just suffered a horrific divorce and two years ago, and after that horrific divorce, I just feel even a freshness of being here that I can survive it, even though it was extremely bad. Now, as he was saying that, I was thinking, well, I prepared a sermon, but what is he really saying? He's, he's saying my sermon, I'm new. I'm new, I'm new, I'm new. And as I walk and I walk and I walk, there's still this freshness. There's still this, this thing that is happening that is like, well, it's, it's years and years ago, but when I obey it, when I love it, when I worship, you're getting a taste of heaven. You're getting a taste of glory. You're getting a taste that your heart is finding satisfaction that I have now found something that my heart is looking for brand new. Why? He's placed eternity in your heart, and you're starting to feel it when your, hurt, when your heart starts to touch, starts to touch God. So then we'll ask the question, well, how can you be satisfied with our longing for the new? Okay, that we all have this longing for the new, we all have this craving for the new, and we're all selling ourselves for the craving for the new, but how can I be satisfied? Here's one way to be satisfied. Eternity with Christ in heaven, I will tell you, you will be satisfied for an eternity, and I will tell you that it will never stop. It will be shovel on new, 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 new. Things are new every single day. Heaven will completely satisfy your desire for the new. As we're here on earth, the more heaven we have in us, the less of the earth what we want. The more heaven we have contemplated in our mind, the more newness that God has given us in eternity, the more of the earth, the less of the earth that we want. When we start a feast on glory, feast on what's going to take place in the future, then this world just seems to grow dim. The way, to be, the way for a Christian to be content is not to go higher in his estate, not to go higher in his job, not to go higher in his accumulation, but is to go lower and lower and lower and lower with the Spirit down towards God. And when you go lower and lower and you bow towards God, you say, God, make me into a new person. Do you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel it. And you're going to feel it every time you go. Man has been made too big to be satisfied with what the world has to offer. They need a God. And when they find God, they will be then complete. Revelation 21.5 says, He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is your taste of heaven. Look at it. What about here on earth? How else can we be satisfied? Number five, thirsting for Christ on earth will give you that new, fresh, satisfying feeling. As I said before, to enrich a soul, you must add something which is more excellent than the soul. Thomas Watson said, hunger is satisfied with nothing but food. If a person is hungry and you bring a person flowers, it's not going to make them happy. If a person is hungry and you sing a person a song, it's not going to make them happy. If a person is hungry and you tell them a really good story, it's not going to make them happy. Nothing will content that person except food. The soul cannot be satisfied with anything but God. And we all try it. We've seen people try it. We all feel it. We all gravitate. We all move towards it. If I can get, if I can get, if I can get, I can get, then satisfaction will come my way. But those things are too small for you. They're too small for you because you're bigger than those things. God is the only one that will make your cup overflow. 
Revelation 21, reading the whole passage. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. I just think this is great. John is writing to people that were going to go through some horrific suffering, some horrific persecution. In fact, the book of Revelation is written for the purpose to encourage people to persevere in their trials and troubles. So what does he do? He starts to write about heaven. Here's his words. He who sits at the throne says, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these words down because they're going to need them. These words are trustworthy and true. You want to listen to what he says. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to a drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. You see heaven in the future, but if you're thirsty right now, start what? What does it say? Start now. To him who is thirsty, I will give him a drink. Are you going to God? I will give him a drink. Are you bowing to him and saying, God, give me the salvation that I need? I am thirsty. Are you bowing to him and worship and say, God, I want to give you glory. I want to give you honor. I want to give you praise. Well, according to this verse, that's where we receive satisfaction. That's where we receive our cup overflow. That's where we receive a taste of heaven that is on earth. Number six, Christianity is not about being nice. It is about being new. You hear it from many times. Pastor D says it consistently. I say it consistently. Read the Bible every day. Every day. Wake up in the morning, you read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Pray every day. Prayer in private every single day. Prayer corporately every single day. Pray, 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 pray. Come to church every week and come to church and worship God every week. What's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of reading your Bible? What's the purpose of praying? What's the purpose of going to church? What's the purpose of serving? What's the purpose of giving? What's the purpose of doing it? Is it to make you a nice person? It's not to make you a nice person. Because Christianity is not about making you a nice person. Christianity is about making you a new person. What does that do? That is far beyond nice. I want to make you a new creation, a new person, somebody who looks like Christ, who walks around on earth loving people like Christ loved, somebody who's completely new in their emotions, somebody who's completely new in their heart, somebody who's completely new in their desires, somebody who's completely new in their worldview. This is what God wants to do. This is what the Bible wants to do. I want to make you new and newer and newer and newer and newer because the world needs to see Christ. And when we go to the Word, what are we doing? Christ's love is reflecting off of us when we go to the Word. When we go into prayer, Christ's love is reflecting off us. And when we walk out, what's taking place? Transformation is taking place. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. A new man, a new motion, a new mindset, a new worldview. How does it start? John 3, you must be born again. In other words, <laughs> born again is it, all of a sudden you're becoming new. And then you get the progressive statement. You become a new, 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 new as you continue to walk. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. What is it saying? It's saying you want to walk out into this world to show the world something that they've never seen before. Something that they've never seen before. Now, 
you might hear the gospel consistently. You might consistently hear, God died on the cross, God rose again, he's done it for you. People hear that, people hear that, people hear that, people hear that, but you want the gospel to come out of your life. Because as people consistently hear it, consistently try to understand it, but consistently out there, when we start living it, then they see it in a whole new light. Then they see it that it's something that touched us, it's something that's grabbed a hold of us, it's something that is moving us. And when they see that, then what are they going to do? They're going to embrace it. The reason why we go to the Word, the reason why we go to prayer, the reason why we go to church is because we want to be a new creation and walk out of the doors completely alive and completely on fire with what the gospel has done specifically for us. That's what makes us the light of the world. That's what makes us the salt of the earth. just want to close with a, a quote from Spurgeon. He says, True believers are from a different mold. Their faces are not down like the beast, but upward like angels. They do not drink from the muddy pools, but from the fountain of life. The light of God's countenance is enough. This is their riches, honor, health, ambition, and ease. Give them this, and they'll ask for no more. This is joy, inexpressible joy that is full of glory. We're going to take communion, and as we're taking communion, as I said before, the the cup and the bread is here and then also in the back. But I just want to challenge every person that believes in Jesus Christ, every person that has accepted Christ as their Savior, every person that says, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of my life, I encourage you to come to the table. When you come to the table, say the words, God, because of this, I can be a new creation, and it doesn't just stop in age. It is consistent. God, make me a new creation and help me to completely understand that I'm new every single day, because of what you've done. And then if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Jesus, if you, if you haven't come to him and you, you've heard the gospel, many people have heard the gospel any, many, many times, which of the gospel is, Jesus, I need, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life, the life I could not live, and died a death that I should have died, and then rose again for the salvation of my soul. It's not what I can do for him that brings me salvation. It's what he has already done for me. And if I believe that and I receive it, then Christ enters me and I'm new every day with him being my master. Now, if you've never accepted that, I just want to challenge you this morning. There's no other better place in the world to accept it than right at the cup and right at the table. Come up to communion and say, hey, God, this bread means your broken body. It was given specifically for me because I need it. This juice represents your blood. It was given specifically to me because I need it. God, I believe that this is what saves my soul. My challenge for you is to come up if you don't know Christ and find Christ specifically at the table. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you're making everything new. God, you have given us um, the satisfaction we long for. You give us the satisfaction that we need I just pray, God, that we'll stop pushing you off. We'll stop pulling you away. We'll stop keeping you at a distance. I just pray that we will embrace you, that we'll hold you, that we'll accept you, God, for salvation, that you will be the King of kings and Lord of lords of our life. You are a good God, and I just pray, God, that we will embrace you in everything we do. In Christ's name, amen.